Welcome to Climate Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's climate tech revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Bernot, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, welcome back to Climate Insiders. On today's show, we have Marie-Hélène Ametz-Reiter. She is general partner at Speedinvest, an early stage generalist fund based out of Vienna in Austria with more than 600 million euros under management and 40 investors scattered in Berlin, London, Munich, Paris, and Vienna. Marie-Hélène oversees the newly launched climate tech fund, 80 million euros under management. We will hear her perspective on the latest trends in climate tech in Europe, the role of corporates, and dig into her views of software versus hardware, the role of Speedinvest as a platform, and even talk about the early stage investment that turned sour planetly. Let's go. Marie-Hélène, welcome to Climate Insiders. Well, thanks for inviting me. Great to be here. To get uh, things going, could you briefly describe, for those that don't know you, Speedinvest, uh, your fund size, your geography, ticket size, and maybe your specifically to your climate tech fund that you recently launched? Sure, with pleasure. So Speedinvest is a pan-European seed fund, and we by now have uh, 1 billion assets under management and almost 300 startups um, in our portfolio. And uh, I'd say what differentiates us is also we are a big generalist fund. We act really like a series of specialist funds. So how that works is that we have six investment teams and they are specialized in specific topics and they act completely independent. So they are agile and, and really quick in doing so. Yeah, and besides that, um, we have a strong operational platform. So we have a team of 20 people that is helping these early stage startups um, in different fields from really recruiting to business development and such basic things, but important to come up with the storyline for or, or beautifying the pitch decks. And what's your ticket size typically? And you only do pre-seed, early seed? Yeah, no. I mean, um, by now, fortunately, we start with really pre-seed tickets. So we always say there's nothing too early. So 500k upwards. And initial tickets usually to 3 million, up to 3 million. But we have also um, an opportunity fund. So we can also invest in um, a bit later stage. I see. And tell us about the Speedinvest Climate Tech Fund that you recently launched. How big yeah. of a fund is that? And how much of a generalist uh, or tra traditional sort of business core yeah. team is part of this climate deal? Sure. So um, the team actually is the same that is working um, for industrial tech and climate tech. This is also what I'm specialized in and heading. And uh, so both for the seed team, for the seed investments as well. And this is the new climate and industry fund, the 80 million opportunity fund. So what we do there, by now we have built up a seed investment portfolio in climate tech and industrial tech of 40 plus companies. And this opportunity fund can now more or less pick up the prorata rights and do the follow-on investments. I see. 
And you have a strong focus on industrial tech, right? And uh, in October 2022, Spin Invest published an industrial tech report entitled Takeaways from Europe's Best Year Ever. Can you describe why, in your view, this has been the greatest year when you, you know, one could think that there's been a bit of a general slowdown, uh, including? I mean. Sure. Well, I think finally there was uh, a real wake-up call simply by a series of events that had happened from uh, the pandemic to, of course, now the energy crisis that in a way brought a new dynamic into the corporate segment when it comes to investment into uh, the startup ecosystem. And uh, what we simply have seen with this latest report is that by now, in the first 10 months, almost 5 billion have been invested in industrial tech and out of that, 1 billion coming from the corporate segment. So industrial tech uh, is clearly picking up here. And uh, it's interesting to see with all other investment areas, usually it is uh, UK, of course, leading. In this specific field, we have Germany clearly on the forefront, followed by France and the Nordics are also really strong in industrial tech. And only then on the fourth rank is, uh, for example, UK. And you also indicate in, in this report, which I invite, and we will link everything in the show notes, the role of corporates and Corporates have always uh, traditionally, you know, played a, an important role, you know, through CVCs in Europe, uh, more so than in other regions like the US or Asia. And um, it might be, again, the same role they play in this current wave for climate tech, but it might be a bit more of an active role as well. I just wanted to point out, just playing devil's advocate from the right off the bat, Accenture, the consulting firm, just published uh, last week a report saying that 93% of corporates will not meet their 2030 targets, which means that, just to put bluntly, there's a lot of fluff and a lot of noise, and definitely we can see it as a fund corporates want to engage. But how much of, of this is really going to materialize? Are they yeah. really uh, playing an important role in this ecosystem yet? Um, well, I think I'd say they take climate tech very serious, but they are a bit helpless in the sense of they don't know really how to approach the whole topic. So I'm sitting myself uh, as a um, non-executive director of a big industrial company that is stock listed. And we are discussing this um, in the board. Shall we commit to net zero and uh, pledge for uh, sign-based targets? And honestly, if you analyze where the emissions are coming from, today there is no technological answer on how to solve two-thirds of the emissions. So there is a big vacuum in a way that the financial market is putting pressure on the corporates at the moment to pledge to net zero, but on the other hand, there are not enough solutions and answers yet out there how to really do so. And um, I think it takes time and they are willing to do so. And we see that there is a significant increase in the investments, but also to have the effects then capitalizing, you know, takes years. I'm going to double click again on that one. I can't help but think that the core business model is to do business as usual. A corporate as scale doing their business just more efficiently at scale. 
Why would they shoot themselves down? Why would they change as long as it continues to be their cash cow? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, at the end, customer is king. And uh, one thing that is clearly coming, the pressure is from the customer. It doesn't matter, is it the end customer or is it the B2B customer that are all receiving pressure that they have to change and they have to meet certain targets. And there is such a dynamic um, in the whole system at the moment that you cannot cannot really escape. But I am with you. And really, it's a struggle. I mean, it's very easy set if you are not inside the corporate responsible for your financial results on a quarterly basis that are challenged in crisis times to at the same time invest into very expensive new technology that is not proven in order to, you know, reduce your emissions. So this is a balancing act also what you can load on the organization if you have a supply chain disruption because of the pandemic at the same time to fight the net zero target is not an easy one. However, I think we are totally, we have a dynamics we've never seen before. We see um, investments in an amount flowing into that field never seen before. And I mean, there was a recent, I think, BCG study that is also showing that 34% of the technologies in order to solve and to really reach net zero are yet to be developed. And that's an enormous chance, I think, for the startup ecosystem and also us on the VC side to develop these technologies. Well, that's a good segue to your investment thesis. Could you describe what you currently find most relevant to invest in. And I want to, just uh, as a way of introducing this, I believe uh, one of your teammates said, there's no time to wait for safe bets when it comes to the future. And yet, from the sideline, I see most funds and most generalist funds that are trying to do climate still do the same kind of investments, right? So safer SaaS, software, low-hanging fruits. Uh, what's your policy here? Yeah, well, I think we have to be very clear and honest there. As a generalist fund, how this works is that the climate tech investment has to compete with other investments when it comes to the return potential, but also the timeline. And that's a critical one. So that is the explanation and reason, and you're very right there, that the climate tech investments that are done by a generalist fund are limited in a way to, if you want to say, low-hanging fruits. I think that's uh, too negative. There is still a lot of very interesting uh, investments one can do. But uh, I agree the specialist funds have uh, a specific role when it comes, I mean, if I'm a, a private investor and I want to optimize on impact, I would always go for the specialized fund because they can, you know, allow that the fund runtime is uh, a bit longer and um, that uh, it takes uh, maybe alternative financing models also in order to support a hardware startup there. But when it comes to us, I think, again, coming also very much from this industrial angle, one field that particularly we love to invest is everything around circularity and specifically recycling because that's a win-win. That's something that brings economic value and uh, optimization from the customer side and at the same time is really making an impact. And we have some really nice examples um, like Grey Parrot that we have invested, the uh, AI 
waste management sorting solution. We have um, Resourceify, which has invested in NeoCarbon, which is a direct air capture solution. So that's something that I feel is a win-win and, and can very well and nicely work with a generalist fund. Also, everything around, uh, I'd say, the logistics sector and smart mobility is something that we address. And uh, of course, energy transition. Um, so we have a lot of... Um, investments in the field of um, battery. So we have Breathe Battery, um, a real deep tech startup that is helping in the in the charging efficiency, but also twice or Silip, um, a recent investment, which is in the battery recycling. Going back to the software versus hardware play, do you consider software plays on scope? And is this a climate solution for you? I think... We have not and never, also before, excluded hardware. Hardware is an enabler, but uh, there is... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, okay. I know. Of course, we are software-focused and software-centric, very clearly okay. in our investment decision, but we have never excluded hardware. I think uh, that's important because we, from the very first day on, were also a deep tech investor, and by that, there is a need that you invest in hardware. And maybe to come back on the corporate role, I think really on this side for climate tech investments, the corporates can play a significant role and a new role in the financing models. I don't think that classic VC financing is the right tool necessarily for climate tech, for real disruptive climate tech solutions that are very asset heavy. And uh, there I would see why cannot corporates that have assets that have the infrastructure support by, you know, providing and building the infrastructure jointly in kind of a joint venture and bringing in there the value of and the investment. In a form of equity, in a form of debt, in a form of procurement? How are they best, best suited? Well, you know, I have not digged deep into the exact models. We haven't figured it out yet. But um, my sheer belief is if looking at the needs that they have and how to tackle it today, namely the work and invest a lot in research institutes and trying to build everything on, on their own, that um, in kind of collaborating, and this could be, you know, that they, in the end, I'm not a big fan that uh, there is a strategic investor in a very early stage of a company. So probably it could be kind of a debt then uh, composition. Let's let's explain that. Why are, are, are you against a strategic investor at early stage? Well, usually... Strategic meaning corporate in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because very clearly they have... Um, an agenda that they want mm -hmm. to fulfill. And it is, in a way, usually limiting the competitiveness for the startup towards other players in the market if you have one of a few already um, sitting in your board. Interesting. I would tend to think that they enable procurement, prototyping, rapid access to markets. Uh, they certainly have an agenda. I consider that almost as a signaling, right? Uh, positive signaling to the market. Yeah, but I think, you know, all of what you said is right. And uh, that's their role and their important role. But in the very early stage, I think for both sides, it's much better to collaborate on a pure commercial basis and work together in order to reach all that, but without necessarily from day one on sitting on the cap table. I see. I also want to take this opportunity to kind of throw you under the bus, if, if I may poke you at a, a bit of a timely 
news. You were one of the early investors in Planetly, mm -hmm. um, the carbon marketplace. Planetly got acquired, which uh, was a positive event as, as a fund. So you probably exited your positions from that point on. But Planetly, there's been a recent news that uh, the corporate that acquired Planetly was going to uh, basically uh, sh shut down the, the line of business and then fire everybody. What's your position, you as an early stage investor? Do you think it has a, a negative um, uh, signaling to the rest of the ecosystem for carbon you know, accounting marketplaces or just the life of a startup? Well, it deeply hurts me, to be honest, because um, when the acquisition took place, there was the very clear, not hope, but belief that um, it's a win-win for both sides and that we would open up a, a huge market by the merger. This now shutdown came as a total surprise. There was no discussion um, going on why that would happen and why they would do so. Um, I'm not the investment manager there, so I'm lacking uh, the details. But uh, from all I've heard, this is really something that OneTrust um, obviously decided internally. And um, there's no obvious reason, non-performance or alike, why they would do so. All right. OneTrust being the corporate that acquired Planetly. And do you also, as part of the, of the service offering that you provide as SpinInvest, is the market expansion to the US and probably you know, access to capital markets in the US, which in two days, a startup environment in Europe is still critical. You know, we do not have as many exits. The valuations are still not as high. It is much harder to get acquired you know, at substantial multiples than uh, it is in the US. How do you help climate tech startups specifically? Do you make introductions? Is it a really a hands-on approach where you, you facilitate the, the expansion? Um, and what could be emulated by the rest of the ecosystem? Well, we do help um, with introductions usually to later stage VCs in the US that are specifically you know, focusing on climate tech investments and um, being uh, a European at heart, it really hurts me. And I would love to not doing that because Europe is, you know, world's biggest market, super wealthy, and we should have the financial strength also to fund the best European climate tech startups in a later stage. That's a huge deficiency of the European um, ecosystem here. So it's you're more or less forced, and this is not just true for follow-on rounds, but also for exits, as you were saying, uh, to do so. And that is one of the reasons why I so much try to collaborate with the corporate segment and having corporates also as investors and LPs in our fund, because there sits a whole lot of money and wealth and value there. The European industries account for 30% of uh, Europe's GDP. That's a lot. And uh, they need to digitize and they need to get green and they really should invest and bring money to the table so that we can um, keep those good European climate tech startups um, in Europe. What can we do as a community? If you had to, you know, a megaphone to shout out a message to the rest of the ecosystem, should we lobby? Should we uh, do something collectively so that we push the envelope further, both to accelerate the maturity of capital markets so that companies can exit, but also corporates to motivate them to acquire companies, also get involved faster? I anything that we could do as a community? Well, I think first, first 
we don't need bureaucracy, but we need innovation. And Europe is really with the regulations um, and regulations on top that we put on our heads. We are standing in our own way in order to, you know, become investable as a as a market. And I think there is tons of examples. Is it for pension funds where there sits a lot of money that cannot run into the VC environment? Is it for the stock markets also um, where it all starts in the end of the day that you have hardly any liquidity there? So putting the megaphone in, in the hands, you know, I'm trying within my field of influence to motivate the corporate segment to go for bold moves, to not try with discounted cash flow method to justify valuations, but to uh, look into, you know, the examples that the big tech uh, companies in the U.S. do, absorbing all the innovation by being bold and knowing if you invest in 10 startups that seven might uh, fail and, and not survive. But... Um, I think every one of us should take his area of influence and become active, not just, you know, always talking, but doing. Yeah. And I would supplement this by observing what's happening behind the scenes where you mentioned pension funds, the big guys, right? The big money. This money is not being allocated into climate yet by lack of vehicles that are big enough, you know, to, uh, to pour in 10, 15 million uh, euro investments. One way to motivate you know, the private equity, the infrastructure funds, the enormous pension funds is to all reach a certain critical size. So it is great in that sense that generalist funds like Speed Invest, uh, like others, are trying to create a special uh, Eurasio in France for a special climate vehicle and are using the umbrella to fundraise from the big guys and allocate a part of that, you know, envelope into climate solutions. So this is, in my opinion, uh, one of the key roles that generalist funds have to play because they are on generation three, four, five funds, and they have the ability to absorb enormous uh, commitments. I just wanted to, uh, to, to outline this. I would love to jump into a rapid fire round. So, you know, the principle, I give you option A or option B, and I take your answer in a short manner. Okay. Are you ready? The first question is, um, what do we need as an ecosystem? Do we need more generalist funds turned climate, like SpinInvest, or do we need more climate first funds, new team that are spinning off dedicated climate funds? Yeah, I definitely think we need both. That We have discussed it um, beforehand, specialized funds um, that can, you know, be also work as evergreen funds that can... Um, play a, a more the role on, on creating really impact, not so much return driven, but in the end, you also need the big money inflow in order to develop the companies at scale. Second question is um, brand slash marketing value versus technical DD support. What is the main value out of corporates when it comes to supporting your portfolio and playing an active role? <laughs> Good question. I'd say... Honestly, in majority of cases, it is in the beginning the brand, especially for the early stage startups. It simply helps in the next financing round if you have three, four big logos and build up some traction with some reputable names that brings credibility and with that also more money, which they need. Next is maybe a, a bit self-serving question, but through your learnings, it could help other funds, you know, dedicate more of their resources. Would you say that startup events or demo days like you're doing on a yearly basis or reports 
intelligence. What has paid biggest dividends for Speed Invest in terms of brands, access to I think to the, deals. Biggest, the, 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 the biggest dividend is having people on the ground. We are 80 people and we have uh, hubs in almost all big European places and cities. And by that, we have the feet on the ground and can talk to people. That gives um, the brand, I think, a lot of credibility. And last question. And I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to the, the Planet Lee case, but there's, it's great learning as well. Would you say that Planet Lee, you as an early stage you know, investor, it has been a success or a failure? I think it's been a success because um, that's the whole idea of startups that you learn on the go, that you try out things. And uh, they were very early in um, putting a carbon accounting tool in place and educated the market. And although it was not for this startup, it might be for their next one that they're going to found that this is going to be successful. Also commercially. And there's not just commercial success. I think there is also, you know, other earnings that you can gain. Thanks very much, Marie-Hélène, for this conversation. I'm grateful to have you here. And to all of you guys, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.